All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 81. We have a good show tonight. We're going to have a special guest. We're going to have Ralph Russo from the Associated Press joining us tonight. I'm going to be here with my usual co-hosts, JD and Sirius, probably. I just before we do begin, I wanted to at least take a second to say how much we are concerned for those in the path of Hurricane Ian and those who've been affected by it already. As much as we enjoy college football, life is more important than that. So our best thoughts and wishes to all of those who are being affected. JD, how are you doing tonight? I am doing all right. I'm really looking forward to this conversation with Ralph, a longtime AP writer, knows his way around the AP Top 25 poll very, very well. He helps make sure that all the things with that go smoothly. But of course, this is a guy who has known things backwards and forwards in the college football universe for a very long time. I'm sure it'll be an excellent conversation. As football is happening, I am absolutely delighted to watch this game that is happening right now with BYU. We already saw a cleat yeet, possibly for the first time since we saw uh, that famous uh, Florida LSU game, or infamous rather. Absolutely delightful, chaotic game happening right now with those BYU Cougars. And now, I believe Ralph is uh, up and on here. Ralph, how are you doing, my friend? Very good, guys. Yeah, hey, how are you? Sorry I'm a hair late here. I was kind of waiting for a link to, to link into this. Don't worry about it. Over the years, we have, well, years, pardon me, but over 80 shows, we've definitely ran into every possible variation of how people end up connecting with it. So you're in good company with many folks. So how are you doing this evening? How's everything else going on? Things are great. I'm switching to my headphones. I hope you can hear me. Maybe, maybe not. You guys hearing me okay? Yep. Sounding loud and clear. Great. Okay. Um, uh, things are good. I'm just yeah, enjoying the game. A uh, little surprised that BYU is uh, struggling just a hair here to uh, separate from Utah State. And um you know, caught a little bit of South Carolina, South Carolina State, but it's, so I said mostly settling into BYU and uh, looking forward to a pretty big weekend in college football. Uh, just got back from Chicago yesterday, last night, uh, where I was covering some CFP meetings, trying to see what the latest is there. It was uh, somewhat of a non-event in, uh, in Chicago. Uh, they're still talking, they're sorting through details, but they didn't have a whole lot to say to us, the reporters that were there. But as far as we know, this is still going to advance to some kind of state where we're going to see some kind of expansion, right? Like, as far as we know, no news is good news, right? I, I think that's probably fair. I think, uh, well, listen, by 2026, we're expanding. Uh, I mean, the, the president's basically... You know, forced the hand of the commissioners, said, listen, if you guys aren't going to get this done, we're going to get it done for you. Um, I, the, the thing is now it's it, it's think of it as converting the playoff, right, as opposed to expanding it for 2024 and 25. You have a system that accommodates. We think of it as a, a four team playoff, three games involved. But really, the system is those six New Year's six bowl games. So the system accommodates seven games, right? Um, you know, and, and, and I guess it would be up to 12 teams. So the system accommodates X amount of games, and they have to flip it to accommodate a few more games, right? Four more games at the front end and 
uh, and pushing back the semifinals and the finals. That's the biggest thing. Like they already have these dates and stadiums and venues set. They have to make sure that the dates and venues and stadiums can be pushed back for the semifinals and the finals while also finding TV windows to, to show these games. So it's, it's kind of, it's logistics, it's contracts and things like that, but you're right. It's also happening, right? It's not, they're no longer arguing over should, you know, my team, my conference championship be in, or what will the Rose bowl do? Like they're past the point of arguing about the format. They're all on the same page now, just trying to figure out the logistics and if it'll work. Was there any conversation about some of the concerns about the first round games? I know those are going to be obviously on campus. In that first call that Hancock had right after they announced the expanded playoff, I I remember he mentioned there were some thoughts that there could be the potential for a host that might not have a venue up to what I believe spec the CFP would want for a home stadium and then there might be an idea of moving it to, I don't know, a neutral or, or a, you know, a, a nearby venue like an NFL field or something like that. Was there any discussion about that? You know, I think that's in the pipeline of discussions, but not pivotal for what needs to be done immediately, which is to figure out 24 and 25. So that's why it's an issue that's kind of gotten brushed to the side. I, I think that, the I, what you said is true. I think they, they have this fear that, you know, I'm just going to pull a school out here, you know, like, you know, maybe it's a G5 school, maybe it's Boston College, right? Um, and, and that it's, it's, a, it's a school and a town that might have a hard time accommodating a short notice playoff game, not necessarily because of the fans, but because of the infrastructure that's needed in hotels and bringing visitors in and how do you allocate the tickets? Um, And they have talked about the idea of, well, if you're one of those schools, maybe you could, you know, move to a venue closer. That is a bigger, maybe NFL type stadium. That is absolutely in the pipeline. But again, it's not essential for what their task is at hand, which is to figure out, can they actually do this thing on 24 and 25, right? That's the most important thing that's sort of top line is how do we transition the current playoff and remodel it, reformat it using what we have and make it into a 12-team playoff in 24-25? Like the, what you said is something that's sort of in the pipeline, but I don't think it's, it's not a priority right now. You know, if they do, and I apologize, I know this is also kind of moving a little bit beyond – the timeline, but one of the, the classic mistakes that absolutely amused us was somehow scheduling Vegas without anyone looking at a calendar. No one looked at a calendar and somehow going up against one of the largest conferences in the world, the, the consumer electronics show forcing Vegas to drop off the playoff plan. Now, moving a little further into the season, it seems like, or at least moving the season a little later, I should say. Seems like that might put Vegas back on the menu. So, is do has that come up at all? Probably not yet, but it seems like it would eventually bring them back into play. Yeah, I mean, as for now, they're locked into this. They're locked into Atlanta and Miami for the twenty four twenty five seasons. I think Vegas will then get back in 
Um, I, I thought the way it worked, and you might actually know that because you're talking about this other convention, and right, Vegas had a conflict, and that was the reason. But I thought the conflict was for the current format. It was conflicting, and they couldn't necessarily host a championship game. What they had hoped for was when they expand – the, the championship game moves back to about January. You know, I, I, I think in the 24, 25 calendar, it's January 20th. But in an expanded playoff, Vegas would have been able to host. In a shorter playoff, in the four team, they needed Atlanta to host. Then, of course, a week later, the president say, no, 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 we really want you to expand. That, was, that still hasn't really been very well explained to me, how the presidents were pushing to try to see if they could still early expand, but yet they felt compelled to hand that site to Atlanta. And now Atlanta, I think they'll be able to do it. I've all indications are they'll be able to do it, but then Atlanta was going to have some issues pushing the date back. So I'm still not exactly sure like why one hand wasn't talking to the other there. And maybe they would have said, Hey, let's maybe not reward this because we're still going to try to do an expanded, you know, 12 team playoff. And that would be better. That would get Vegas back in. Uh, but, you know, again, at this point, um, they, you know, they've moved on. They're locked into Atlanta. And my guess is here, here's the, the upshot of all of this everybody is motivated to get it done. So if it doesn't get done, it means that there came, there, there was some kind of logistical hurdle that just couldn't be overcome. But my my sense of it, it it is if everybody wants it done, it will end up getting done. Ralph, I know that when we first saw some kind of complication for this playoff expansion, especially getting up to the twelve teams, uh, there was a lot of snipping between the alliance and the SEC. And now it kind of seems like, especially if we're going to go into twenty twenty six, we're going to have some major conference moves happening with. USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, Texas and Oklahoma allegedly waiting until 2025 to go to the SEC. Does conference realignment possibly change or complicate any of that expansion? I don't think so. If anything, you know, there, you could make a make a case that it provides just a hair of stability. Um, you know, listen, if the big 10 wakes up tomorrow and says, Hey, Washington and Oregon, come on down. Washington and Oregon are going to come on down because big 10 money and sec money at this point is so enormous, whether you're not going to stay in the playoff, you're not going to stay in a conference, you know, because your conference has access to the playoff. You're going to go chase the bigger dollars from that power too. I do wonder if I'm in another conference, though, the way the playoff is is structured or this format will be implemented, where you simply have the six best conference champions. It puts all those other conferences on equal footing and they don't have to necessarily worry about being shut out of the playoff. Now, listen, I know if you're if you're a lower G5, if you're the Mac, you know, you're probably not you're probably hoping hoping you know, for the best at best, but at least you have some tether to the playoff. But if I'm like the big 12 pack 12 situation, at least I know no matter which one of those leagues I end up in. uh, And and if those leagues still exist going forward, like I will have playoff access. So I do think 
to a certain degree, having that done might provide a little more stability with conference realignment. But again, I keep going back to that idea of like everybody's still waiting for the SEC and the Big Ten to 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 give an offer. Like there, there, nothing is going to stop that. I just think if you're not in one of those conferences, maybe you're looking at it and going, well, what's really the benefit of me leaving to find another conference right now? Rob, one of the other things that I'm also curious on that I know that you will have a lot of experience in is obviously when these playoffs come in, rankings always matter somewhat, especially the college football playoff rankings, but they don't come out until towards the end of the season. Uh, Do you anticipate, especially with your work at the Associated Press, uh, the AP Top 25 poll, given that you know, a lot of these bowl games are now based on the college football playoff rankings and how those normally play out for bowl games. Uh, what's kind of that relevance of the poll in agenda setting for making these type of playoff rankings? Yeah, listen, I think that we will always, you know, there was a point, uh, just brief history lesson. I know you guys know this, but maybe some others don't. When the BCS uh, was a thing. Uh, they used the AP's rankings as part of their formula, along with the coaches poll and some computers. And one of the problems with the BCS, not to get too deep into the history, was that it was constantly tweaking the formula. Right. It was a little too many computers, not enough computers, more computers, more polls, uh, you know, different computers. So but for a while, the AP poll was part of that formula. At a certain point, the AP this was above my pay. I was there at the time, but way above my pay grade said, Hey, you know what, BCS, we would like you to stop doing that because we really don't think that our poll should be involved in creating matchups. The poll reacts to the games, but the, suddenly the poll was then being used to create the matchups for the games. And I, I think that it, it there felt, like it felt like it was going to be a credibility issue for the AP and for the writers who were involved in that poll. So the AP said, Hey, BCS, could you please stop using us? And they have ever since I would assume that going forward, the AP will never be involved in that type of, or would prefer not to be involved in that way ever again, as far as setting the postseason. Um, I will say this though. I, I, my, my spiel on this has always been the same. I think the AP poll will always have relevance because it is the one thing that has been a constant in college football for 80 years. We, we change the way we award champions, the way we determine champions. There's, beast, there's, beast, there's alliances, bowl championship series, CFP. Now there'll be a new version of the CFP, and at some point the CFP will then ex, you know, expand even more. Maybe at some point they won't even have poll. They won't even do a college football playoff ranking because they won't need it. The thing will be so big. The AP poll is the one sort of through line to all of college football. It sort of sets an agenda for the season. It also sort of tells the story of a season. If you were to get out the polls for, I'm just going to pull a, a, a season out of the air, 1987, and you looked at the polls from the first week of the season to the last, you could just by looking at those polls, get a fairly good idea of how that season played out. So I think historically it has relevance I also think the other place where it will always have relevance is the CFP is not ranking teams at the end of the season. And if you're not one of the playoff teams and you're not winning a championship, there is still value. There are schools still want to know we finished 12th, we finished 8th, we finished 17th. 
And so I think as long as we're doing those two things, that there will always be some relevance with the AP poll. I enjoyed that you brought up that moment in the history of the BCS. I thought that was a pivotal moment. It was interesting because, I mean, obviously it led to the creation of the Harris poll, which some of us still remember. Um, but it, uh, it was a moment where we saw kind of getting into more of the, the academic approach to journalism being, you know, one thing to rank teams in opinion, but it's another thing to make, create the news, which it kind of had made the aggregate, <laughs> all the reporters that were contributing to it were, were also making the news in the process of setting up the matchup in, you know, without the original intent ever having been that in creating the AP poll, but and from a, also a larger perspective, do you think for those writers who participate in the poll, does it help kind of get their, their mind straight at all? I mean, how, how do you, I mean, when you create your ballot, how do you treat it? Uh, and I'm trying to get not only, you know, the, the week to week details of it, but how do you use that as an exercise in, do you use it as an exercise, I guess, in trying to frame the national college football scene? Okay. So just to, just to be clear at the AP, we pick the voters, we count them up, um, we manage and, and administer the poll. We do not vote. So I do not vote. Um, I'm happy to, do, to not be part of the voting. Now, I will generally um, sort of cobble together something that looks like a ballot, but it's very different to sort of say, OK, here's my sort of tentative top 25 uh, and I'll look through the poll like a fan or even like a journalist and, and like, like an analyst. And I'll, you know, I do a column every day night where I'll, you know, I do it, I think, in a nicer way. But I kind of I, I will take the voters to task a little bit. Got on them a little bit last week for not ranking Kansas. I thought Kansas sort of deserved to be in there. Uh, but again, you know, I try to do it probably in a little nicer way than maybe some folks on Twitter do when they reach out to our voters. But I don't vote. Um but yeah, without question, I mean, I think I understand it's not perfect. It is not a it is not science, especially early in the season. I, I always tell people, don't get too worried about the poll. If you don't like the way it looks a week later, it's going to probably look different. Um, but I but it does, to a certain degree, set the agenda for the season. And as much as many fans out there are like, oh, it's useless or don't do it so early and don't have preseason rankings. I, again, I think that it is it is part of telling the story of the season. So, yes, I do think it sort of sets the agenda to a certain degree. And listen, we 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 all sort of put a little more priority on the teams toward the top. So, yeah, I mean, I, I cover all of college football and especially those 131 FBS teams. And I like to know what's going on with all of them. But without question, um you know, if, if a team surges, that's a little more interesting. If a team, you know, sort of, you know, crashes because when we thought they were good, that's a little more interesting. So I do think that the poll helps set the agenda for the season. You kind of answered the question a little bit, but I really wanted to know, you know, Kansas is now the number one in receiving votes uh, and they're right behind Kansas State, ironically enough. Uh, but when somebody says like, hey, we wish that this team was ranked, how much of that is, you know, an individual person ranked uh, them 25 versus someone ranked them 18? How does that aggregation work in order to make sure that you shake out your top 25? Well, it's a very so, so so the basic mechanics very simple point system right and and it, you're talking about 60 
it's 63 voters this year. Sometimes it moves, that number moves a little bit. Uh, we try to not, again, it's not scientific, but we do try to make it proportional by region. You, you know, each voter submits a ballot, you know, 25 points for first place vote, one point for a 25th place vote, um, and so on and so forth. So yeah, they, they, they submit them via computer, the computer tallies them up and you get what you get. I think what I end up, I think where I can provide a little insight is I tend to sort of, I, I think I've been looking at this, this, this poll for so long <laughs> and I've been doing this stuff for so long that I kind of get a feel for why maybe certain decisions are made by the collective group and why teams maybe get left out and things along those lines. You know, I, I do wonder, I think part of the reason why maybe Kansas kind of got brushed aside a little bit this week is no, no, what you would call really big marquee victories if you look sort of within the top 25, um, the teams that are sort of lingered around with losses have lost to top 25 teams. So I think that there is a uh, somewhat of a desire for from voters to not punish, let's say, Pittsburgh for losing to Tennessee in overtime when you see Tennessee's a pretty good team. Uh, so I think that may be a little bit of what's stacking up against Kansas this year. You've had some some top 25 teams lose to other top 25 teams, so you're not so aggressively pushing them out. Uh, you see a Kansas team, again, that I would be fine with being in, in the poll that's not – that also, you know, has, has played – by the way, has the worst defense right now ranked in the Big 12 and doesn't necessarily have what you would necessarily consider a marquee victory – because West Virginia struggled a little bit, Houston struggled a little bit. You've had an opportunity, as you said, to kind of get a sense of how pollsters kind of react and and approach teams and where they place them. One of the un, sort of one of the more interesting news stories is obviously having James Madison start to appear in the poll. Obviously, is also receiving votes. But when you when you start to see new teams like this, and obviously we've seen Sunbelt teams, you know, with App State the first time they ever became they became first, you know, uh, Sunbelt team ranked several years ago, and and Troy and a couple of these other teams that started to climb their way up, and obviously Cincinnati, la- you know, last season with their more triumphant rise all the way to break into the the CFP. How what do you tend to see with these kinds of moves? If you're talking to James Madison fans, they're wondering, well, how many wins are we going to have before? Vapey will probably rank us. From your observations, just typically with these trends, what would you tell those people? Yeah, usually, uh, so it goes back to a little bit of what I just said about marquee victories, right? Like what what those schools will always sort of, and listen, it, it works against them in every system of this college football, right? The playoff with BCS, we've talked about this for years, right? Your schedule, your schedule maybe uh, doesn't have opportunities for as many marquee victories because of the pro- conference you play in. So it's going to take you a little while to accrue enough wins to sort of get over the hump for the teams that maybe have the opportunity to, you know, beat another top 25 team. Um, you know, I know James Madison plays Virginia later in the year, I think. I think. I, I don't have their schedule right in front of me. Uh, which, you know, considering the way the Cavs, or the, the Hoos are playing, not necessarily would be a, a big marquee, a marquee victory. So, but almost inevitably every year, 
the group of five teams worked their way in. And I think that they worked their way in two ways. A, winning a lot of games, more often not staying undefeated. But I also think it's a mindset among voters, and I've always sort of thought that this is the right way to approach it too, that at a certain point, like you can tell me that maybe the fourth best team or the fifth best team or the sixth best team in the SEC is better than, let's just say, James Madison if they keep winning. But I want to reward the team that's actually winning games. A ranking is not a power ranking. An AP poll ranking is not a power ranking um, that Vegas uses. It's a reward. It's a reward for accomplishment. And at a certain point, the sixth best team in the, in the, in the SEC might be a better team on the field and might have a better power ranking than the best Sunbelt team. But that team has lost three or four or five games and hasn't really earned the reward of being ranked. Whereas a team, you know, from a G5 conference that has winning all their games at a certain point has earned a reward. So I think what happens is later in the season, as you as you as you stack wins, you earn a reward from being for being ranked. But again, it just it does take a little more work without those marquee victories. So just as a quick station ID, we're at 30 minutes. Uh, this is RCFB Talk 81. We've got the AP's Ralph DeRusso joining us. He's National College Football Writer. Um, and we hope to also hear questions from you. But I first, I had one more just kind of question. Logistically, I find it fascinating. What's it like um, for the AP to collect all of those ballots every Sunday? How does that, how is that like week after week? Because we kind of, we, <laughs> Uh, because we're, we like to, to announce some of those rankings as soon as they come out, we're always kind of patiently waiting. And at the same time, I'm wondering, like, what's it like on the other side? You know, because <laughs> we're just sitting here refreshing, hitting F5 and trying to inadvertently, you know, we're trying not to accidentally do a denial of service attack on the AP. But we're, we're all <laughs> just trying to wait for the, <laughs> that, you know, over and over and over. What's it like on your side of it? I just I'm so curious. Yeah, I, I wish it was more dramatic. Uh, it, it is not. Um, but, you know, so I, I mean, listen, I can tell you some tales from back. I am old enough. And I started in this, this business before I had this job, but was working for the AP. To I, I'm old enough to have worked at the AP at a time when the voters called in their ballots to the agate folks on the desk. And I know there are some people who are like, "What? Who? What? What? Like what? What's that? Agate?" Or, or like the basically editorial assistants, and they would call at all hours of the night and all hours of the morning. And, you know, you take, OK, number 25 or number one is, you know, you know, Ohio State. Number two is maybe they would fax in getting email was like a big deal because then they could email their ballots in. Right. So nowadays, you know, we've moved past the Stone Ages and it's mostly all automated. I watch a computer program, you know, calculate the ballots, uh, you know, on the Internet. Eventually all the ballots are in. You know, I may have to make a phone call or drop an email to a voter. Hey, I think you forgot this team or, hey, did you mean to vote for this team? Or maybe somebody's a little tardy. They missed their deadline. And you kind of say, hey, man, can you think you can get something in the next half an hour? But usually, again, it's it's it, it, it doesn't have a lot. There's not a lot of drama to it as much as, hey, OK, OK, the poll's ready. I got to write a story. We got to do a couple of things, you know wise to make sure it gets on the wire and gets on the website uh it can be a little bit of a i will say this it, it's a busy morning for me 
no, I don't want anybody, nobody's sympathy. I've got a great job. It's a busy morning, but it's not like that hectic. (laughs) Now I'm imagining like, did you mean to vote for the Cleveland Browns? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, but you know, so I just question when you took it over, at least the manage, managing it on the, that side, were you given any wisdom from the, the person who preceded you? Or was there some some wisdom in the AP over the years? Because obviously it's been 80 years now. I mean, what 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 sort of what, what were the sort of I don't know, the truthisms or things to look out for that you were told heading into it? You know, not necessarily. I, and I must I also, you know, again, this is a little inside baseball, but, you know, the, the management of the poll has moved, has, has changed a little bit over the last few years. Like a lot of places, we've had different staffing, right, than we used to, right? Maybe there's maybe a few, a few fewer people than we used to have. So a little more of that has gone on my plate. Um, that used to be done by some folks who were really good at it and maybe did a little more as far as monitoring of the poll and keeping their eyes out on certain things. So, you know, again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm complaining. The job is great. But Sundays, a little, I, I'm probably monitoring the poll a little more on Sundays. And as far as like advice, you know, the best advice I, I, I think that, you know, probably ever got is to understand like the poll is not mine. Like the poll is very important to the AP. I've, I've sort of, again, keep eyes on it and try to keep the, try to keep the trains running, but big decisions about the poll are made above my pay grade, <laughs> are made above me. Somebody might ask my opinion, but ultimately my editors, my bosses ultimately have the final say on, on most logistics when it comes to the poll. That makes sense. Hey, Hob Buggins, you've been patient. You had a question. What's up? Looks like he is uh, still connecting, but as we're waiting for that connection, Ralph, uh, I do have a follow-up question uh, sure. for the receiving others' votes. Like, obviously, when we see something in the top 25, we can kind of give some kind of measure of, hey, we know how good this team is, especially if they've got marquee victories or if they've had respectable losses or anything else like that. But when you look at other receiving votes, people, like I know one of the confusing ones would be like, you know, Syracuse right now, currently undefeated, not necessarily a marquee, but I have to feel like, you know, you see a team like that. And the meme that goes on forever is, is Syracuse good? (laughs) Right. Uh, And I also think like back, like, you know, like in the 2014 poll when Marshall went, 11 and 0, but they were unable to break. I think it was like number 18 uh, in the AP poll. Uh, when you have those types of weird edge cases, I mean, what is that answer to? Is this team good? Yeah. yeah. Again, like I said, listen, it, it, especially at this part in the season, uh, it's an educated guess, right? I mean, I, I think the voters do a pretty good job. Is Syracuse getting slighted by the voters? Um, so I, I think what is probably going on a little bit right now, and again, so sometimes I'll speak for myself and sometimes I'll try to read the, the collective minds of the voters. Let me try to read the collective minds of the voters. And this is just, again, me, my experience having been around it for a long time. You know, they've got three victories against power five schools and that seems to pop. Like a lot of people are sort of falling back on that. And you kind of go, well, Virginia's not very good. Um, I saw that Purdue game and boy, they were a little lucky to win that one. And they played very well against Louisville. 
and I've seen this team play the last couple of years, and I'm just not like super convinced that they're going to be able to keep it up. That's I'm basically just playing devil's advocate on Syracuse here. Basically, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's probably. I think there's a little hesitant that hesitance there on. Yes, they're undefeated. Yes, they play Power Five teams. Um, I do wonder if that last game against Virginia probably maybe worked against them a little bit, even though they won because it was a really super sloppy game. And they and they and so I I do wonder if voters maybe were watching that and kind of went, you know what? I think I'm going to wait another week or two for Syracuse. Um, maybe not fair. Maybe not fair to Syracuse fans. Again, it's been a good year for them. Um, I would say again, now this is me speaking, sort of analyzing them. Um, they're, they've been a lot better than I thought they were going to be. I thought they were going to have a hard time getting to three or four wins this year. They've already got to four, and they'll be at five this weekend with Wagner. If you look at the back half of that schedule, this team is not guaranteed to get to a bowl game. I think they will because they'll get to the 5-0 and and they have BC at the end. But, man, they have a gauntlet from after Wagner to before BC that includes like Clemson and, and, uh, and NC State and Wake and I think at least one good team from the other side. So they're going to have a little bit of a tricky go of it here. Um, but still been a good year for Dino. And I can understand Syracuse fans feeling like a little slighted here. Hey, Hobby, I know we finally got you up. I could tell you could Sorry. talk to yourself. No worries. Don't worry about it. What's okay. up? Um, anyway, hey, um, so anyway, I don't know if this has been touched on because I just got home from work and just got home from the gym. But um, I was thinking, like, not to sound biased, but I think uh, this week's game between my West Virginia Mountaineers and the Texas Longhorns is, like, one of the biggest and most exciting games, important games on TV because I think it's a massive game for both teams to figure out what they're going to be for the rest of the season, especially if um, Quinn Ewers plays. But I also think it's a massive game for Neil Brown because both teams arguably should be undefeated right now, even if Texas played Bama when Ewers stays healthy that game, I feel like they pull that out. Um, and I think a lot of coaching malfunctions hurt WVU against Kansas and Pitt. So both teams that can arguably be undefeated right now are going into a pivotal start of conference play, even though we already played Kansas and they played Texas Tech last week. And I just wanted to get y'all's thoughts on, like, what what outcomes you think, like, who you guys like in that game and the rest of the season moving forward. Because it, it, win or lose, it's a big game for both. Um, and then Texas has to play Oklahoma next week, so they could be looking towards Oklahoma or focusing on trying to kick our asses. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. So, so I, I like the way you think, Hobby, because what, what always interests me, like I do like a, a list of when I do my picks column of intriguing games every week. And a lot of times the intriguing games are not necessarily the ones always with the teams with the rankings, right? one of the things that makes a game intriguing is when you start sort of like looking at what are the ramifications if they lose here, not just like, Oh, they're out of the playoff, but like uh, the reason why I think this game is super interesting is exactly what you talk about. Like all of a sudden West Virginia is in this weird spot where like, I don't, I'm pretty confident they do not want to fire Neil Brown. It would cost a lot of money. And I don't think Shane Lyons is really down for the idea. I think a lot of people have like, there's, there's a lot of people in that, administration of a lot of support for neil brown but like if the thing just rolls into a ditch and you only win four or five games all of a sudden you have a lot of questions that you have to deal with so you have that element with west virginia but you also watch west virginia play really well last week against virginia tech and again you sort of see like oh there's some upside here 
right? I also not to interrupt you. I will say, yeah, not, yeah. I think Virginia Tech is an absolute dumpster fire right now, and I their problem. Think, yeah, <laughs> I also think that like, yeah, that was cool, but and Grant Wells is from around here. He's from around my hometown. Like, he's not a Division One quarterback. Bless his heart, but he's not. He's not a Power Five quarterback, at least. But anyway, not to go off topic, but. In regard to Neil Brown, I like Neil Brown. I met him personally. I think he's a great dude. I would love for him to coach the Mountaineers. But the thing is, is I don't know another winnable game on our schedule because I don't know what Mountaineer team is going to come out there. And the fourth and one from the pit game still pisses me off because it's like, yeah, he could win against Pitt and Virginia Tech and lose the rest of his games, and I'd be happy with that. But after the pit game, after not going for it on fourth and one, the pick six and watching their running back just bulldoze there. I know for the next hundred fucking years, they're just going to show that on backyard brawl highlights. And that could have been avoided, but that was a coaching thing. But not to get off topic. I apologize. But, but no, not, I will I, say, I, but I, I do hear you. Like, I think, I think the thing, the thing with the Big 12 is just what you said. Like, there are no clear losses on their schedule but there are also no clear wins because the entire big 12 is is kind of wide open is pretty good like i think the worst team in the big 12 is probably going to be pretty good so you're right if you're texas probably us it's probably west virginia honestly i mean holy shit uh and texas can't afford to have a third loss this early in the season because all of a sudden if texas loses another game then you end up with the craziness that goes on at texas and again they're not gonna fire sark in year two but like it it, it becomes like red alert panic time in texas i I love games like this because they're up if they're up on us like they were Texas Tech last week and we beat them, I'm going to lose my mind because I don't know how that's possible being a lifelong Mountaineer fan. But the seat for Sark, and I love Sark, would get hot, hot, hot. And one last thing I'll say, I apologize. Um, shout out to the guy who brought up Syracuse because there's an OG Big East WVU guy right here. Shout out. Um, I This would be a great year for us to upset Syracuse when they got like someone like Donovan McNabb or something like back in the day. But nah, it would be cool. If we still played Syracuse, Pitt, Virginia Tech, Boston College, all them boys, shout out. Shout out to you, Ralph, for bringing up Syracuse. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. That was great. Hey, um, Gavin, what's up? I know you wanted to, you wanted to participate. What, what did you have to say? Oh, it's always fun to see who's gotten attacked by the Mike monster yeah. on Twitter spaces. It always is. Get but, that uh, mute off, Mike, uh, Gavin. Hey, I, there you go. hey, Ralph, I'm a big fan, and I was just uh, two quick things. One, I want to hear a little bit of color on the on the life saving CPR you apparently uh, were uh, performing uh, during the uh, Iowa uh, Rutgers match. I heard heard about that on the Ben Stewart Mandel Audible podcast. And then the, my other question, my, my, my real question is just about um, the, uh, the 12 versus 8 um, uh, college football playoff. Why 12 versus 8? Eight? 8 seems so much tidier and more sensible. Um, why? I know that that 12 has always been the thing, and, and that's been talked about in your podcast for a while now. Um, I just don't understand what the reasoning is on that. Thanks a lot. Okay, it's just to, just to like, I'll, let me quickly address what he what he mentioned first here. I, I don't want to yeah. get too much into it. Like, 
So there was a there was a very unfortunate incident after the game at the Rutgers Iowa at Rutgers in Iowa this past weekend. I had gone really like just I wasn't I wasn't like covering the game. I was just sort of watching the game and doing some other things because I thought it, it's not that far from where I live. Um, yeah, um, very unfortunate circumstance, uh, health issue for one of the writers. Um, I, I, I did the best I could to help that situation. Let's put it that way. And I would say um, the um, the person who had the, the 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 health scare, very scary situation, is doing better. Uh, not completely out of the woods, but um, I would just say, like you know, again, like it, doing better and um, very far and promising considering the circumstances. And I'll, I'm going to kind of leave it at that and move on. Um, as far as eight or 12, um, I, I get that. I, I think if you dig into the reason, if you dig into eight, you see problems and part of, so some of the problems that I think it's spotted are how do you do sort of the automatic births and things along those lines with eight? Because if you're doing four or five or six conferences that get in automatically, that only allows two or three, maybe four at-large spots, that was not going to fly, especially for like these bigger conferences, stronger con- like the SEC, now the Big Ten. They want to be able to put more teams in there, multiple, multiple teams in there. I also think that when you start looking at so, so eight was always going to be problematic from that standpoint, because if you had the SEC, especially, they would have said, hey, eight's fine, but it's an open eight. Forget about conference champions and all that stuff. It's just best eight because they want to get more than two or three teams in there. They want to have the or more than one or two teams in there. They want the ability to have three or four. So 12 accommodated more at large spots. And that was a big part of this. I also think the other reason why I really like 12 as opposed to eight was the biggest issue we have right now is there are usually two or three very dominant teams at the top, right? That separate themselves, these super teams that have been created with programs at Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State. And we, you, I think what 12 does is it allows you to get them out of the first round. They get buys. And if you're playing five through 12 in the first round, those look like far more competitive games as opposed to, you know, the, the, with, with one through four being passed on. So I think you get more competitive games in the first round. You take the super teams and move them into a buy situation. I think that's the, those are the big two reasons why I think 12 works better than eight. You know, Ralph, I want to do a quick time check-in. It's about eight. We've been going at this for a little over 45 minutes, and I, I respect your time. If you have a couple more minutes, we'd love to keep talking to you, but we know it's busy. You know, it's the middle of a work week. So, uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm good for a few more minutes, guys. I, it, it's totally fine. It's, uh, it, yeah, you caught me at a good time. There's not, there, unless I'm missing something, uh, you know, on Twitter while I'm not, while I'm talking to you guys. I don't <laughs> think there's any breaking news, oh, and, and BYU Utah's at halftime. 
Well, I still can't believe it. Breaking news that Nick Saban is retiring. (laughs) No, I take it back. He's going back to be the defensive coordinator for the Georgia Bulldogs. Absolutely incredible news right now. (laughs) You know, I still remember when we had um, the athletic director for Cincinnati on, and we were like, we were so lucky because it ended like half hour before USC and UCLA when John Wilner dropped that tweet and suddenly (laughs) all hell broke loose because we were like, Boy, that would have really colored that conversation in a hurry. Like, so, about that Big 12. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know. So, but, you know, one question I, I did have, just sort of, you know, I'm curious. I, you're a big fan of just sports in general. I know that. I always love the comment that, that college football butters your bread. How did you find yourself in college football as kind of your, your speciality in sports writing? Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you asking that question because I, I kind of like giving the answer. So I grew up in New York City. I live in New York City now. I've bounced around the country and then moved my, found my way back to New York City uh, later in my career, at this point in my career. Um, and New York City is certainly not a place that produces a ton of college football fans. Um, but I, when I was younger, you know, growing up in Queens, you know, Sunday was for hang, you know, like watching the Jets with dad. But Saturday, I would find myself, my father wasn't a big college football fan. He would occasionally watch if there was a game on and, and, you know, he had some free time on a Saturday. But I found myself sort of exploring the games on Saturday. And I would always tell like people like you'd see these, you know, there's not a lot of games on TV then, but you'd see a game from Lincoln, Nebraska or Baton Rouge or norman or pullman and it just for a kid from queens who really didn't get around a lot i mean we were a working class family my father was a bus driver like it's not like we were traveling the country like these places seem so like mysterious and interesting to me and the 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 style of football seemed very interesting and mysterious right like the cutoff jerseys and the and the and the 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 the, the wishbones and it was just like and the teams looked different and they played a lot of different styles and, and it just drew me in like the just the uniqueness of this compared to what the NFL was on Sunday even though there wasn't a lot of interest in the New York area in college football, it really pulled me in at a young age. And then when I had the ability to sort of like find a career path in sports, I found myself constantly like sort of moving towards how can I cover college? How can I write more about college? How can, and eventually like I lived in Colorado and I, you know, I didn't, didn't work, I didn't cover the buffs or anything, but again, it gave me more opportunities to be around, you know, major college football. And then the big turn was I, I lived and worked in, in Mississippi for five years covering the SEC schools in Southern Miss. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, Wes, you've been patient. What did you want to ask? Hey, what's up, y'all? Hey. Um, going back to the, the poll itself a little bit and some of the mechanics, um, one thing that has sort of been a weekly tradition of mine, I'm a USC grad, USC fan, um, scanning the boards every week when the polls come out. We like to check this certain writer of one of our main rivals who's a voter in the poll. He always has USC ranked about 10 spots lower than everybody else in the poll. And so people get up in arms about that. And they're curious, you know, like what sort of system exists at all for determining whether there's, you know, bias by individual writers for or against 
you know, a specific team. And so I thought, hey, I got Ralph on the line. Might as well ask him if that's ever happened. If so, how do you determine it? And what do you do about it? So, uh, yeah, basically we always sort of check for homerism or some kind of bias. And I think that, you know, like I would say this. Um, I don't know if being five or six or eight spots behind, you know, especially USC, I would, I would put it this way. I would probably have to go back and see like more than just this season. I could see people not being bought in on USC this year. And I think fans tend to look at anything that is not quite, you know, up with my version of what I think the team should be. And they see bias when it could simply be, hey, you know, I just think that this team is not as good as your as the other team. The other thing, too, is one writer's influence. Like we, we, we sort of encourage writers to sort of think on their own. We don't want the group thing to like, well, if you're if you're if your vote for USC is 10 places lower than somebody else, well, you're, you're wrong and you need to change that. That's why we don't have one voter. Right. That's why we have 63 voters. So an outlier vote doesn't really change the poll that much. Ultimately, the consensus is what we're looking for. So we certainly keep an eye on votes that are so extreme as to be questioned. We have had situations like that where voters, in fact, there's a voter this year. He's been very consistent about the way he votes. Actually, I'm not sure if he's in the panel this year. I don't want to give his name only because I don't know if he's in the panel this year, who generally speaking is, a, is pretty tough on group of five teams. It goes back to sort of the, his vote. His, he likes to think of like, hey, if you don't have big victories, I'm going to have a hard time raising you in my rankings, right? And for years, the, the G5 fans have gotten on this particular voter when he's been on the panel. We, was, the voters kind of come on, on and off the panel. But he's been consistent about his philosophy, right? And I think that, you know, again, you, you try to check to make sure there is no extreme outliers that show some type of extreme bias. But we also don't want to influence voters. And we're not trying to deter people from thinking a little bit differently from the entire panel because it's not one voter. It's an entire panel. I don't know if that really answered your question. Um, uh, yeah, no, and I, I agree. You know, it's it's. A okay with me to not be totally sold on USC right now. Just thought I'd maybe uh, have something to relay to the boards, you know? I think it's a common no question. Problem. I think I think I'm glad you asked that because I, I think a lot of there's fans from all sorts of fan bases who probably asked that same question at some point. And you know, Ralph's answer is basically what I've always assumed, <laughs> of course. But uh, you know, Ralph, I have a quick question. When uh, one of the moments I do remember was, you know, gosh, it's back and it's longer ago than I care to admit was when App State, as an FCS program, you know, upset Michigan. And suddenly there was this question of, can FCS teams be ranked in the poll? And the answer was, yeah, they could have. And so they received, I think, a vote or two. But were you around for that? And what was that conversation like? I was, and that was very early in my time as the National College football writer. And, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I, I think it was one of those things, like it was simply an unanswered question. Like we had never really specified that it had to be FBS or, yeah, I think it was, I think I had just changed to FBS as a, well, I'm old enough to remember Division One and Division Division One A and, uh, and, and Division One AA, right? Um, 
but so at the time, I, I believe it was just, you know, what they had done was so historic. It, it caused us to sort of have the conversation that we had never had before. Um, it wasn't necessarily. And again, like this is a perfect example of like these decisions sort of get made above my head. I, I, I think I might have been asked my opinion and I believe my opinion was, well, I think feel like we're ranking fbs teams because they're even though we don't have an fcs poll that one of those does exist um but you know they're all division one and if you want to put this you know this other division one team down i guess that's fine and again the poll the, the decision ended up being made above my head and we decided yeah if people wanted to vote for fcs schools they they absolutely could it doesn't happen very often and that's another reason why i thought that like the decision to do it wasn't necessarily a bad idea because you had to be such an extreme case that you probably had had accomplished something that was worthy of the notoriety the the um, of the vote. Ralph, similarly on those bylaws, I'm very curious to know what are kind of the things that you agree to sign up as as an AP voter. Is there like a specific packet that says? You are on this poll for two years, three years. You must abide by these rules. Are there any bylaws uh, that specifically state you have X amount of duties to fulfill? And if so, what are they? It's more guidelines um, than than anything as official as that. Um, we have some longtime voters. Um, the You don't serve up for a term. Some cycle off um, every year, uh, partially because... Uh, this is a little in the weeds, but we have some voters who, who are on the panel almost every year um, and some who were in some states where the vote sort of um, um, the vote gets passed around the state a little more often. Uh, that tends to be a little more like what the in-state, I wouldn't say politics, but what the, what the in-state mechanics are, right? In other words, in some places... Um, it's a little harder to get voters because maybe some papers don't want their guys involved and some paper, some states, there's not as many people covering college sports. Whereas in a state like Alabama and Mississippi, there are lots of people covering college sports. And a lot of those organizations want the prestige of having an AP voter. So you need to rotate it around a little bit to keep everybody happy. Where in other states, hey, you know, it's hard to find, you know, five or six guys in California or, or gals in California who cover college sports full time and are allowed to vote. So maybe we have a voter there or two who, who tend to be a little more regular to the poll. So there's no tenure on the poll. The, the panel changes every year. Some people are longtime voters and come on and off. Some people have a lot of consecutive years. Kirk Bowles from um, the Austin American Statesman, I believe, is currently our longest tenured as far as consecutive years. John Wildner from out in San Jose Mercury News um, has a long cons- like consecutive run of years voting. But a lot of voters are, are on and off. I love the, the concept of tenure only because I, I teach on the side of the university at the University of Minnesota and I'm now imagining someone like a tenure poll like you can't kick me off my asinine poll is completely you know I have the freedom of academia but um you know Ralph we really appreciate the time you've spent with us this evening and before we I want to just go ahead and wrap it up so that you, you'll get a break but tell us more about this podcast you have on the AP uh, for those you you touched on it early on, as well as obviously your articles on the AP. But tell us about this podcast for those in the audience who might be curious. 
Yeah. So um, uh, the AP, it, you know, we're very loyal to the brand. It's uh, it's the AP Top Twenty Five College Football Podcast. You can find it on your all your all your favorite platforms. And you know, really, it, it's uh, I'm not a big showman, right? Like we've had me on for an hour. I like talking. I like chatting college football. Um, it's it's a little. It's kind of straightforward, newsy. I usually bring on one or two guests. Uh, sometimes I'll bring on coaches or an or an athletic director. But it's a lot of sports writers. It's a lot of guys who guy guys and gals who cover the the sport nationally because I like to sort of like have very big picture conversations. I would say this: the best way I can sum up my podcast is when I first began it. It was at a time where I found myself thinking like would go out to dinner with maybe a Stuart Mandel or a Bruce Feldman or an Andy Staples. And we'd have some, you know, we'd be covering the same game and we'd be having some, you know, what would, what would we do? We'd be talking about college football for an hour and a half, you know, what coaches should be fired, what teams are good, what players are good. Remember that old game and things along those lines. And I found myself thinking like, these conversations are pretty interesting and I bet you other people wouldn't mind hearing them. So that's essentially what my podcast is. It's conversations with people who cover college football. We try to talk about topics in the news and, you know, and the games coming up every week. It's the AP top 25 college football podcast. And it's essentially, if you like hearing people talk about college football, that's what we do. That sounds interesting to me because that's exactly what we enjoy. <laughs> and, uh, and this conversation, I think, reflected that. So, Ralph, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Well, for all of you out there, thanks for listening. This was RCFB Talk 81 with Associated Press's Ralph Russo, National College football writer. And on behalf of myself, Bob Kairi, and my co-host, J.D. Moore, we always appreciate hearing from you. It's going to be an interesting weekend of college football. If we don't hear from you, we hope you enjoy it. We hope your team does well. And with that, I'm going to hang up and listen.